Hi, I'm Mark Lynch at the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the Pull Maps podcast, our series of conversations with scholars in the field. Uh, with me today is Marwa Shalabi. She's at the Baker Institute at Rice University. Uh, Marwa, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark, for having me today. So you we're here for a workshop on uh, kind of the political science of gender in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and you've been working in this field for quite some time. Uh, how do you generally think uh, the field has done in dealing with questions of gender and politics in the region? Mm-hmm. No, I think this is a great question, um, and I do think that we need a revolution when it comes to the study of gender and politics in the Middle East. Uh, our knowledge is still very limited when it comes to the intertwined relationship between uh, gender, politics, electoral systems. And most of the knowledge that we have right now are coming from other disciplines, such as history, sociology, religious studies. And uh, the political science have been lagging behind in kind of contributing to this knowledge. So, like, in what sense? Like, what are the things that political mm-hmm. science has been failing to do that you think that it should? Yeah, I think that the discipline... Again, I, I'm trying to, like, why, why we're lagging behind. So I think one of the main issues is the lack of reliable data and systematic analysis on gender. And also the stigma associated with gender in the region has made field work very difficult. Mm-hmm. Also, I think other reason why we're having uh, difficulty uh, understanding gender and politics in the region is a lot of scholars still think that electoral politics in the region don't really matter. And whatever outcomes they produce are irrelevant. So it's also impacted uh, women's um, research on women in politics in the region. And also, um, one very important point that contributed to this is the fact that women did not enter politics until recently in in the Middle East. So, for example, Saudi Arabia just had women the right to vote and run for elections 2015. Uh, Kuwait was 2006. So the region is is already lagging behind getting women into politics. And and, and as a result, of course, our research is still lagging too. Now, you tend to focus in your research on formal political institutions, elections, parliaments, Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that um, has an effect on how you see the contributions of the field? I think that Although we have some studies that focused on uh, on this dimension, women in formal politics, but most of them have focused on the cultural dimension of it. So they focused on the role of Islam, the role of patriarchy. Uh, they also focused on the role of uh, oil, socioeconomic factors. And I think that we, we are missing a very important dimension of... Um, of, of understanding the relationship between gender and politics, which is authoritarian politics. Mm-hmm. We're missing on understanding how the dynamics of authoritarianism has impacted uh, women's presence and how this the, the political openings and when they open, when they close, and the uh, state efforts to uh, promote gender uh, in, in political institutions uh, when they face some kind of a legitimacy crisis or there is some kind of a of an international pressure with no with no a real interest in empowering women in the political sphere. So we'll get, let's give me a specific example mm-hmm. like of of an example of how you think the authoritarian mm-hmm. uh, kind of the context of authoritarian politics mm-hmm. has structured mm-hmm. the formal or the role of women in in formal institutions. Yeah, I think I think one of the prominent examples is the the lack of coherent party structures in the region. So Mm -hmm. authoritarian politics has impacted how these parties form and how they um, 
on how they attract voters and how they promote women in office. So the fragmentation, even the absence of political parties in most parts of the region, actually contributed to, to this reality. And we also see that in the countries with like, like modest uh, political party systems, such as Algeria and Tunisia and Morocco, they actually fared better than the rest of the region when it comes to women's representation. Hmm. Well, what about this trend towards uh, mm-hmm. towards gender quotas or mm-hmm. ways of you know shaping the system in such a way yeah. as to increase women's representation mm-hmm. in parliaments? Do you see this as a good thing or as something which is missing the point? So far, um, before the Arab Spring, the, the quota never exceeded... Uh, 15, 16 percent of women in parliament, uh, which is the, Morocco was 16 percent right before, so, and uh, and Tunisia was around 22 percent. So we never exceeded this 30 percent critical mass kind of uh, mm-hmm. of threshold that we 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 know about from the from the discipline. So um, so going back to uh, the gender quota, so I think that we haven't seen that much number of women in quota yet. So it's, it was all, only in 2012 in Algeria and 2014 in Tunisia after the introduction of the periodic clause that we saw women in parliament exceeding 30%. So, so, so before we haven't seen that much impact for the quota and, uh, and they are kind of reproducing the, the same authoritarian structure that they came from. So, so, so this brings us to the project that I'm working on right now which is the uh, governance and elections in the Middle East uh, project that I initiated at Rice University in 2013. Uh, So the goal of the project is to uh, analyze the um, parliamentary questions, bills, roll call votes, and we also uh, have data on uh, election results and district uh, demographics and so. So so the JAMA project basically was going to be the first time, for the first time we will be able to understand the legislative behavior of these males and females in parliament, kind to under and to have a better understanding of the impact of authoritarian politics uh, on shaping their legislative behavior. So, what are some of the interesting findings you've seen so far? Okay, actually, there are lots of interesting findings. So, so let me start. So far, we're we're done with uh, Jordan, Kuwait, and Morocco, and uh, so. It, I'll be presenting today in the workshop the preliminary uh, analysis from this. this is for the first time. I just finished it last week, <laughs> and uh, I'm presenting today the the first uh, the first wave of results. So I think one of the most interesting uh, results that I saw that women are not pushing for women's issues. Hmm. So. So you would tell me, oh, that, that's that's okay. Here in the U.S. and Western context, women, female MPs don't push for women's issues. So what? So I would say, no, it is a big deal. Because given the status of women in the region and the problems they're facing on a daily basis, the gender-based violence, the sexual harassment, the... Um, the antiquated person status law that we have when it comes to marriage and divorce and guardianship laws. There's so many things that we have to worry about, and women are waiting for for these female legislators to push for real policy changes for them. So this is a big deal that women in these parliaments are not actually pushing for gender issues. When when they're campaigning, mm-hmm. do they talk about these issues or and then and then break their promises yes. or do they simply not talk about them? Yes. So so it depends again, are you coming in through a party uh, through a quota system or you're coming through direct elections? Because in Kuwait you come there's no quota system, it's direct elections. In um, in in Jordan it is reserved seat 
meets, and in Morocco, it is the voluntary party system, kind of a gentleman agreement. Mm -hmm. So it depends actually how you got in, and if your priority is a party that actually introduced you to the electoral arena, or it's more the electorate that you're you're coming from. So, so the, again, so the interesting part is that they're not pushing for these issues, and they're moving with the coalitions, and they're moving wherever the male legislators are are going. Mm -hmm. So that was a very interesting finding. A second interesting finding that I saw is that we we Ellen Lust and Amani Jamal, and we all uh, this uh, we the. the produced an interesting body of literature talking about the service provision right. in the region and uh, how these elections are, we shouldn't look at these elections as if they're, they're not meaningful. They are meaningful events, they're important events, but they perform different functions from what we actually think about elections in, in the Western kind of sense. So, so they talk a lot about the idea of service provision and how elections in these places, based on this clientelistic kind of networks, basically a place for service provision. And based on the data that I found, uh, so analyzing parliamentary uh, questions uh, from the three countries uh, from 2009 to 2013, I found very strong evidence for service provision in the legislative behavior of both men and women, which is, was pretty interesting for me that that most uh, the majority of women are asking about budget allocation and, st and state resources, mm. kind of uh, like what I'm going to get from my constituency, what I'm, I'm going to build this road, we're going to build this, we're going to do that. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting kind of fi finding that uh, I thought uh, I thought I want to I, I want to share with you. They sound like good politicians. <laughs> <laughs> and the third, very the last and third and last, so the corruption. So I coded, I coded uh, a category, um, so again, this data set is, is categorized based on 19 different categories, based on the Comparative Agenda Project, I, the, uh, the you know, UT Comparative Agenda Project. So we followed their coding, but I added the, the category of corruption, because we all know that corruption is a major issue in mm -hmm. the region right now, and every single public opinion survey coming out of the region would say, uh, what is the most important issue facing the region? or your country, mm -hmm. they would say corruption, okay? So I coded for corruption in this, um, in this data set, and I expected that the majority of questions proposed in this parliament would be about corruption. I found 0% questions raised about corruption in Jordan. By women or by anyone? By anyone, by in Jordan and in uh, Kuwait. In Morocco, I found 3% of the questions raised uh, on corruption, and uh, they were not by women. So, uh, so that's another interesting finding that hmm. these, these MPs are not uh, working on what is actually matter to the constituents. They're working more to, to uh, consolidate power and to, to, to stay in power and to be re-elected. On gender-specific issues mm -hmm. like personal status law mm -hmm. or that sort of thing, mm -hmm. do you then find that it's international pressure that matters more than this kind of electoral mm -hmm. pressure? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to say that. Okay. Um, I think that if women, so now in Algeria and Tunisia, since they're thirty-three percent of uh, of the uh, parliament, I'm hoping that. The, the critical math theories can actually overcome the shackles of authoritarianism, and you can form. I think now they're not. You don't have a voice because they're few. 
There are mm-hmm. very few. I think if they're incre- more, so that's not that I'm saying that quotas are unimportant. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. Quotas and women's presence in, in parliaments is important, but we need to increase them to reach like, a specific critical mass so they can push for issues for, for women. And again, international pressure also helps, but I like, as an Arab and as um, an insider, I, I do believe that change, ha- it has to happen from within. This idea that we always have to rely on country X and country Y to, to uh, promote is- gender issues, I think this is not practical. And I think there's increasing also hostility in the region to this, that mm-hmm. we have to impose on them and telling them what to do. So the three countries that you've quoted so far, mm-hmm. Jordan, Morocco, Kuwait, I mean, yeah. you've got, you know, the North Africa, you've yeah. got the Levant, you've got mm-hmm. um, uh, the Gulf. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see any systematic differences in on, on these questions, mm-hmm. the role of women in parliaments yes. um, across these three subregions? Or do you see more of a, of a common mm-hmm. pattern? So um, Jordan is... Um, in Levant, Jordan is in the Levant, Kuwait is, in, of course, in the Gulf state, and Morocco is uh, is North African state, and the three of them they have different political systems, of course, and also uh, women were elected in very different terms. So mm-hmm. this being said, I didn't. So there's again, the literature says that the way the women got to power would actually impact their policy preferences and stances. I didn't find evidence for this. Huh. So if she, if women came through CODA or if they came through reserve seat or direct elections, it doesn't matter in their policy preferences. And this tells you that there's a, the political context play much stronger impact on their policy preferences and their legislative behavior rather than the way they got to power. And this is why I keep on asserting that we need to have a deeper understanding of the authoritarian politics and how and how it shapes legislators' behavior in this part of the region. Do you see any significant difference in terms of political ideology, Islamists or leftists or liberals? I mean, do they behave differently? This is the next step of the project. Okay. So right now I, I do have the candidate-level data, and I do have their affiliation, tribal affiliation, political, ideological. So the next step of the project, I will group them into based on their tribal, based on their Islamist mm-hmm. ideology, based on their... Uh, um, uh, political affiliation, and then that would be that would be very interesting to see if there actually some variations based on affiliation. It would also be if you get down to the candidate level, yes. it really would be interesting yes. to be able to look at campaign promises versus mm-hmm. or campaign rhetoric yes. versus what happens once they're in parliament. Yes, I think that would be also a very uh, interesting uh, uh, research uh, area. And again, I just we just finished coding last week. I was trying to rush the team so I can present <laughs> some uh, results today. But uh, I promise that by next time we'll have uh, more uh, data to present. Well, great. We appreciate that. Uh, this is really interesting. Thank you so much. I'm Marwa Shalabi of the Baker Institute at Rice University. Uh, thanks for joining the conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me.